This is episode 106, featuring a behind-the-scenes coaching call with a sprinter turned distance runner who wants to run his first half marathon. Hey runners, I'm Jason Fitzgerald, the head coach of Strength Running, and thank you so much for being here with me today. You're going to be listening over my shoulder as I talk with Riley, a recent college grad who's looking to run his first distance race ever later this year, a half marathon. Now, Riley used to be a jumper and a sprinter in high school, so he doesn't have much experience running longer distances. He actually struggled with a hip injury this year as he was getting ready for his first crack at 13.1 miles and unfortunately never even started that race. But today he's healthy and plotting his revenge on the half marathon distance. What you're about to listen to is a coaching call where we talk about Riley's running background the types of training he has experience with, and how he can structure the next four months of his running to not only finish his first half, but also race it well. Riley is a member of Team Strength Running, the most affordable virtual coaching group you can join. These behind-the-scenes coaching call opportunities are only available to team members, so if you'd like to learn more about the team, just sign up at strengthrunning.com TSR, and I'll send you all the details. I think you're really going to like it. Riley and I are also going to talk about the enviable position he's in right now. You'll notice how excited I am for Riley because of where he's at in his life the types of long runs and workouts that work great for the half marathon, and the obstacles that he must avoid this fall if he's going to stay healthy and run his first half. Please welcome Riley to the Strength Running Podcast. You know, this is really going to be about, you know, me getting a more full understanding of who you are as a runner and your background and what you've done in terms of training and racing in the past and what you want to do in the future and then how I think you can hopefully get there. Awesome. Yeah, I've listened to a couple of these coaching call podcasts, so I have an idea of what it's going to work or how it's going to work. All right, Riley, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast today to talk about you, probably your favorite topic, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Thanks for having me. I appreciate the opportunity to talk with you. Yeah. So, you know, how I talked about a little bit earlier is I really just want to use this time to get to know you as a runner and some of your goals and hopefully figure out a plan to help you get towards those goals and accomplish them. So uh, let's start with some basics. Uh, Who are you? How old are you? How long have you been a runner? Uh, I'm 23 years old and I've been running uh, for I don't know, since I was about like 11 or 12, I started running in sixth grade, actually. Um, I'm one of those weird people that actually enjoyed the gym mile, and that's how I discovered that I liked running, and I quickly fell in love with it after that. I could take you through the whole story if you like. Yeah, how did you start running? Because I know I had to do that gym mile myself, and and I hated it. During track and field week, I was the kid doing the shot put and the high jump because you couldn't get me into any of those running events. It was the gym mile, the gym class that everyone was required to take. I I liked it. I liked the competitive aspect of it. And uh, yeah, back in sixth grade, I found that I liked that and I quickly fell in love with running. And so I started running on my own a little bit with my dad sometimes. He he wasn't much of a runner, but he did some running. And uh, I had no structure at that time at all. But I planned on the following year in seventh grade, I would go out for cross country. Um... But that didn't work out because I moved across the country with my family and my new school didn't have cross country in middle school. They only had track. So 
I decided I would do that instead. Um, and on the first or second day of track, they, they make you go around uh, through all the events and give them all a try. And I found out that day that I was the fastest sprinter in the school. And so I kind of felt an obligation to be the sprinter and be the jumper on the track team. Um, that's not to say I didn't like it. I really did like it. I loved being the fastest guy on the team. Um, and so I trained for sprints and jumps every season of track until 10th grade, finally in high school, when I could do cross country. Um, the high school track coach convinced me that I should do cross country as well, since I always kind of had an interest in it. And so I did that in addition to my sprinting and jumping at the time. Um, and in cross country, I wasn't great at first. Uh, I was okay. The first season, I barely broke 20 minutes in a 5K after a lot of hard work. But I loved it just as much as I loved the sprinting, like I would have expected. Um, but I still felt that my sprinting and my jumping were a lot stronger than my distance running. So I spent about half a year doing heavy strength and speed training, not running really. If I was running, it was on the track doing like wind sprints or something. And then the other half of the year working on my distance training and my weight would fluctuate a whole lot. My, my strength would fluctuate a whole lot. Um, I was reasonably successful at both of them, but I think I would have had a lot to gain had I actually focused my attention on either distance running or sprinting and jumping. Um, anyway, I closed out my high school cross-country career with a 5K PR of 17.31 on a very hilly course with some rough terrain, and I was very proud of that. Um, and I had the opportunity to race at the Washington State meet where I finished 10th from last place as the seventh runner on our team. Um, the team overall placed in second on, uh, at the state meet, and I was super proud of them, but I didn't have anything to do with that. So I was looking ahead to college, and I felt that I had more potential to be a successful sprinter and jumper. In high school, I could pretty reliably uh, get to the county and district meets, and if I was lucky for my sprints and jumps, I'd make the state meet as well. And so for the remainder of high school and into my freshman year of college, I focused all of my attention on my sprinting and jumping, particularly triple jump, which is what I was best at. Um, and I continued through my freshman year into the indoor season um, until some things started catching up with me. Uh, school was starting to get harder. I planned on uh, going to school for engineering, and I ultimately got it. Woohoo! But uh, the, the academics started catching up with me quickly, and they were getting harder, and I knew they'd get harder. My knees couldn't really take the triple jumping anymore. The impact just wasn't sustainable at the rate I was doing it. Um, and I think the biggest thing for me is I wasn't part of a team anymore. I didn't make a team going into college because I was at a Division One school, and I would have to train really hard to maybe walk onto the team a couple years later. Um, so ultimately, come the outdoor season of track and field, I decided to give it up. And that was kind of a rough breakup because I've been doing athletics for years and years, and I finally was stopped and it just hit the books. Um, but for the rest of college, I did some running, some distance running, because it made me feel better than the sprinting did. Um, I had good speed, but my stamina was weak, and I didn't have any consistent running at all. I just did it here and there just to feel better, I guess. Um, once I graduated from college, that was last summer, uh, I really missed the joy had running had brought me back in high school, and so I decided to just get back into it full swing. Um, I started doing some, you know, base training late in the summer for about six or week or, or excuse me six weeks or so and felt that I should race a 5k that's what I knew how to race just to to get a feel for what kind of pace I'm capable of right now to kind of gauge for my workouts moving forward um, and, and in late October of last year I ran a 1741 
which was just 10 seconds off my PR time, and I won the race to boot. So I was pretty jazzed up about that performance, um, and especially because at the end of the race, I still felt like I had some gas in the tank. And so I was I was so happy that I, I was still capable of running like that that I decided it's time to grow up and do some uh, big kid races. And I'm an adult now anyway, so I'm going to give a half marathon a try. And so I made a training plan, and I'd say a few weeks later, maybe four to six weeks after getting into more intense training at that time, um, I got my long run up to about 10 miles. And on that first 10-mile run, uh, I remembered I had some nagging hip pain about seven miles in. I didn't think much of it. I just kind of powered through. Um, I got home. I stretched, and I called it a day. And then for the next two to three days, my left hip hurt so bad and it was so stiff that I was just peg-legging my way around the house and I couldn't run for sure. Uh, I later found out that I had ITBS in my hip and outer snapping hip syndrome, which put me out for about a month, if not more so. Um, but at this time, it was you know maybe December, January, and I was looking ahead to that half marathon in May. So I felt I had enough time that I could pull it together and recover and... Uh, I still had that training plan I wanted to stick to, and so I jumped right back into my training uh, after maybe a week of ramping up, and that was a huge mistake. It came on way too quickly, and after about a day or two of running, it only took me maybe a mile of running to flare up that hip pain again, which put me out for several more weeks, um, and this cycle continued on and on. I started to get a little bit smarter. That's when I found strength running and a lot of the strength workouts that you have on your site, and that helped a lot, but I, I still wasn't being very smart about my training, and Maybe, I don't know, a month or two out from the half marathon race, I was still kind of injured and I knew I wasn't going to make it happen. There was no way I would be in good racing shape to hit my goal and I was definitely not going to finish that race healthy. So I decided to quit the race. Um, I took a good amount of time off after that, maybe six weeks to two months where I was doing consistent strength training to try to get healthy again. And finally, just out of nowhere... A buddy of mine at work came up to me and uh, told me that one of his Ragnar teammates needed a sub because they broke their leg. Um, for your listeners that don't know what Ragnar is, it's one of those 200-mile uh, relay races where everybody runs three legs, and on average they'll run maybe like 18 to 20 miles in total. Um, anyway, I couldn't say no to this because I wanted to run the Ragnar relay since I was 15. There was no way. Even if I was coming off of an injury, I would just do it safely run slow, but I couldn't miss it. The only problem was the race was in six weeks. Um, so I made a plan, a very conservative plan to train up in six weeks to try to be in safe running shape, not necessarily competitive, but something that I could do safely and finish the race and have a good time. And I wasn't able to maintain great consistency over those six weeks because I had some business travel that threw a wrench in my plans, but I ultimately came out of it strong enough and healthy enough to run about 18 miles and leave that race healthy. It shocked me. I was almost certain I was going to get hurt, but I was smart about all my strength training then and being careful, and it worked out. So proud to have accomplished that and be able to push myself like that. I ran it at 719 pace, which surprised me too. Um, I wasn't hurt, and I, I've decided again that I'm going to give this another try. I'm going to run this half marathon. I'm, I'm looking towards the end of the year on December 1st, the uh, Seattle Half Marathon and the Seattle Marathon, they have the 50th anniversary of the race. and I don't want to miss it. I definitely want to make that one happen. All and right. so now that's kind of where I am. I'm working on my training for that race. 
Well, let's see if we can get you there. Uh, you certainly have a very different and unconventional journey into distance running. I mean, being a sprinter and a jumper in, in high school and then transitioning to these longer distances. So when you say sprinter, are we talking like 200, 400? Or are we, be, are we talking like pure sprinter where you're doing like 55 meter dash or, or the 100? Uh, I'm talking hardcore sprinting, like 100 to 200 meter and outdoor and indoor. I was the 60 meter and 200 meter. I would do the relays too, like four by 100 meter. Uh, for jumps, I did long jump and triple jump predominantly. I'm a little too short to do high jump. <laughs> yeah, I I remember I did the triple jump once in an outdoor track meet when I was in high school. And I think it was either my junior or senior year. Don't ask me why my coach let me do it. Or don't ask me why I wanted to do it. But for some reason, I was like, let me just do the triple jump. It's after, I think, the mile or whatever it was that I was racing. And uh, I can now say that in one meet of my high school career, I was a jumper. And for me as a distance runner, that makes me feel like one of the cool kids. <laughs> the triple jumpers look cool, too. They're all like gangly and bounding. <laughs> I know. I they have, have such power. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about some of the training that you did before the 1741 5k that you ran. And let's put that in sure. perspective. What kind of mile pace is a 1741 5k? I want to say it's about like 545 to 540 per mile. Yeah, I think that's about right. Um, yeah. and so when you were getting ready for that, when you raced that, you know, about 540 per mile 5k, what kind of weekly mileage were you doing? What kind of speed workouts were you doing to help you get there? Um, so at that time, I was just doing some base training. I intended that race to sort of be a check where I am and check what I'm capable of so I can set my paces appropriately. So the only workouts I was doing at that time were the occasional tempo run or uh, like a Jack Daniels style cruise interval workout or a long run. I had a long run every week um, that totaled at a maximum of maybe eight to nine miles or so. Total mileage for the week was, I think, about 30 miles on average. Okay, so you were putting in a good amount of consistent work, but you weren't breaking any records in terms of the distance of your long run or your weekly mileage or even the workouts. I mean, you were doing no. base training workouts, tempo runs and workouts that are much more appropriate for longer distance runners uh, to be included in a longer term kind of a training plan. Um, but right. th I think that's great. I mean, and it's also kind of showing you that you can gain a fair amount of speed just by working on your endurance because, I mean, look, you, you can probably run a hell of a lot faster than a 540 mile for 400 meters or 200 meters. And so you know, the, the question then becomes, you know, how do we extend that speed? And the answer is primarily with endurance. Of course, it's a little bit more complex than that, but, you know, extending the amount of time we can spend running a particular pace is primarily a question of how much endurance you have and you know tempo runs getting your mileage up and boosting your long run distance and doing that consistently over a long period of time is one of the best ways that you can potentially do that so i did just look up a 1741 5k and that is 542 per mile so we were that was pretty close you were really right on the the head with that one so that's great um so you know looking at the future you want to run a half marathon now this coming December. 
uh, you know, you're pretty much already there with with what you were capable of doing in the past and, uh, you know, what you're now capable of doing. I would just say, you know, the big things to do are to stay healthy and, you know, to, to run a little bit more. Um, now, do you have any other uh, PRs from other distance events, you know, not just the 5K, but maybe a 10K, maybe a mile or a two mile, a 3K, anything like that? Uh, the longest race I've ever raced is a 5k. I I've raced miles in the past. Um, that wasn't when I was at my peak training. Um, I remember I ran the last mile I raced was at the end of my junior cross country season in high school, uh, in the middle of 11th grade. And I ran that in five minutes and two seconds. I was pretty excited about that, but I really wanted to break that five barrier. Um, that is the only other distance that I've raced before. I've technically raced a 3K too, but there were 200 meters of that through water. There's more obstacle courses, so I'm not going to count that as far as a pace to give you a point of context, I guess. Right. Yeah. That sounds more like a very intense cross country race rather than, you know, more like a yeah, it was. road race. <laughs> So, okay, yeah, you have some speed, Riley, and that is always a good thing when you're going into those longer events. Um, you know, I, I get a lot of questions from older athletes, you know, who want to know, when am I going to be ready to qualify for Boston? And, you know, my first question is always, well, how fast are you in other events? And so we look at, you know, their other race times, whether that's 5K, 10K, half marathon, or any of the other uh, more offbeat race distances. And what I'm really looking for is the concept of an equivalent performance. So if they're trying to run, let's just say 3.30 in uh, the marathon, then I want to see other times that are just as competitive as that 3.30 marathon. And the fact that you have these competitive short distance race times really means that if you work on your endurance, if you get your long run up consistently and you do the training and you focus on it for a longer time period, you know, maybe one to five years or, you know, since you're really young, you could have uh, a running a distance running career that's well over a decade into the future and you could get really, really good. Um, that's my hope. Yeah, yeah and, and I think it's there for you because it doesn't seem like you've been doing a, a crazy amount of training. It doesn't seem like, you know, you're really training at your potential, but you're already putting in fast times. So it's very encouraging and you're, you're just in a great position right now. I'm kind of envious because, you know, the, the future <laughs> is bright for you, Riley. Oh, that's exciting. I, you know, I... I have my sort of distant goals in mind. I would like to run Boston one day. That's kind of the dream for a lot of runners, I think. Um, I don't really want to run a marathon yet because I know I'm not there. But to be able to say that I've raced distances from 100 meters up to 26.2 would be really, really cool. Now, having said that, I do have some goals for this half marathon coming up because I'm a very competitive individual. I want to make sure that I can um, do the best that I can. For the, the half marathon that I was going to race previously back in May uh, that didn't end up happening, my goal was to race it in under 90 minutes. Um, that's okay. kind of the benchmark for me because that is the same pace at which I would have to run uh, to qualify for Boston. At least it was. I think they they dropped the qualifying time a little bit. But it's, you know, it's a nice round number that I'd like to hit. That goal still stands for this half marathon. I'd like to be in that kind of shape. 
Well, I think it's going to be very possible for you. Um, if, even if we just look at your 5K time. So if we look at a 1741 5K, uh, 542 mile pace, and I just talked about this concept of equivalent performances, right? So right. if you're someone who can run 1741 in the 5K, then you're someone who can run roughly 82, 83 minutes in the half marathon, provided you're in a comparable fitness level and you've done you know, the same amount of preparation and training beforehand. So if you have a great you know, next four months of training or so, then I would say a sub 90 is probably very, very manageable for you. And I would even encourage you to shoot for a sub 85 minute half marathon. Now, of course, this assumes that, you know, the course is not incredibly difficult. This is, you know, this is kind of a, a best case scenario. And, you know, right. the weather cooperates. If it's 85 degrees and humid, you're simply not going to run as fast. It's almost like running at altitude. It just slows you down and there's really no way to get around that. Um, but, you know, just right at the outset, I think the time goal is there for you. And what we now have to figure out is, okay, how do we get there? How do we almost ensure that you're able to keep improving and to not only hit your sub 90 minute goal, but, you know, maybe sneak under 85 minutes and that'll be really exciting. And, you know, looking forward to the longer term future, if you run an 84 minute half, you know, then your, your next goal is going to be even more aggressive. It's going to excite you even more. And I think that's really important for long-term motivation as well. Yes. That's exciting hearing all that. So tell me a little bit more about your current training. What are you doing right now? Uh, what have you been doing in the last, you know, maybe four to six weeks or so? Or have you been running any races or are you training for any races right now? Uh, I haven't raced anything since that 5K. I, I guess you could count the Ragnar as a race, but that was more of a, I just want to finish and have a good time. Anyway, uh, I have been running. Um, after that Ragnar race, which was, I think... A little over four weeks ago now, um, I looked ahead to when this half marathon would be, and I had 20 weeks. And I figured that's a good amount of time where I can start charting the course to uh, how I'm going to get to that that race readiness. And so the past four weeks, I've spent kind of doing some base training work. I, I made a plan for myself, and I've been pretty good about sticking to it. So for the most part, it's been easy miles. I have a long run that I'm trying to ramp up a little bit. Uh, I'm trying to be careful with it because that's how I hurt myself last time, but I'm happy to report that I have hit the same mileage I had previously when I hurt myself with no injury this time. So all in the clear so far there. I have a couple tempo runs that I'm doing that are uh, like a sort of cruise interval style. I'll do two miles at a time, take a two-minute rest, do another two miles. Um, I've done some speed work, some uh, track repetition work, um, and then looking ahead, the rest of my plan, I'm going to hopefully over the next few weeks, focus more on some speed work to get the comfortable running faster under my belt. And then that's going to start transitioning into more race specific workouts as I get closer and closer to the half marathon. So longer tempos that are more focused on, uh, lengthening the amount of time I'm holding that pace. I'm going to have some more uh, like up-tempo long runs where I'm spending some of that time racing at what would be like my marathon pace. Um, and somewhere in there, somewhere in the middle of this training cycle, maybe 10 weeks out from the race, I'm planning on doing some like harder interval style workouts just to try to like raise my VO2 capacity, I guess. 
Well, it sounds like you have a plan and that's always yes. the hardest first step is to kind of say, all right, what am I going to do over the next 20 weeks to help me get to my goal? And it sounds like, you know, you're doing a lot of things right. Um, I think it's a good idea to split up the tempo runs at this point in the training, considering that, you know, your race isn't until roughly four months away. You know, you don't want to be doing anything that's, that's too hard right now. You can certainly run fast, but let's just keep it manageable and, and make sure that you're not really overexerting yourself. Uh, and then as you get into kind of the middle, you know, middle-ish part of the training cycle, you can start making those tempo runs uh, a little bit longer. And then instead of doing repetitions, you know, you can do it as one sustained effort. And that's a nice way to periodize it and make sure that, you know, your effort with the tempo run is kind of increasing throughout the training cycle. Um, you know, I, I think one of the big things that's really going to help you is your long run. Um, I know that with the, your sprinter background, with the fact that you got injured previously, you know, the long run is where you haven't really gotten it up to a, a higher level. And with the half marathon, we're starting to get to a distance that is just challenging just by how long it is. It's like the marathon. Right. The marathon is hard just because it's really long. It's like the opposite of the hundred, right? The hundred is yeah. not hard because it's long. It's hard because you have to run it as hard as you possibly can. Now, the half, you know, I generally like to say that if you can run 10 miles, you're going to be able to run a half marathon on race day. But you have some pretty aggressive goals. You're also a fairly competitive athlete. So it's going to be really beneficial for you, not just to run the race distance in training, but also to run longer than the race distance. So, you know, on the day of the race that you're sitting on the starting line, well, hopefully you're not sitting there. You should be standing yeah. up, Riley. <laughs> um, but so you're standing there on the starting line and you're not intimidated by the race distance whatsoever. You, you know, hopefully at that point have experience running longer than 13.1 miles. So now the question isn't, can I finish today? Or I hope to, I hope to finish kind of well. It's now how fast can I run 13.1 miles? So if you were to get your long run distance up to, you know, 15, 16 miles, uh, you know, longer, I think is better. You know, you could get up to 20 miles while you're training for a half marathon and, and that is only going to help you. But with that said, you know, I think we should be cautious with this particular training cycle for you because, you know, you do have that injury history and you don't have, you know, years and years and years of distance training under your belt. So I think right away we should very cautiously, but still consistently increase your long run. So maybe every two weeks or so you add another mile to your long run. And I think the great news is that you have a lot of time, you know, you have about four months until your goal race. Uh, what is your current long run right now? What are you comfortable doing as a long run? Um, so the last long run I did was this past Saturday and the one previous, they were both at 10 miles. That was the distance where I hurt myself last time. Um, but I didn't this time. Thank goodness. I'm, I'm looking ahead to the rest of my training plan and I totally agree with everything you're saying. And I had that in my head that I need to be kind of conservative with this. I remember back in high school, uh, the long run was always the hard part for me running any longer than like 90 minutes was just torture for me. Cause I was a sprinter. I, I'm more comfortable with them now, but I, the longer distance for it, like when you say running a 20 mile long run, that sounds awful to me right now. <laughs> uh, I can foresee myself doing 15 to 16 within this training cycle, but I had only planned on doing maybe 13 to 14. 
Um, okay. Well, that's, that's fair. what I'm looking at. And you know, it's it's just funny hearing you say, as a sprinter, a 90 minute run was torture for me. Usually, for a sprinter, a 25 minute run is torture. Never mind 90 minutes. Well, I had a half a year of training to build up to that. It started with just maybe 20 minute runs, but by the end of the season, I could pull out 60 if I needed to. <laughs> All right. So the fact that you have, let's just say, 16 weeks until your until your uh, goal race, sure. you know, if you were to increase your long run by a mile every two weeks and you know occasionally you would take a cutback week where you know maybe instead of 14 miles you only run 11 or 12 but you know you might put in some goal uh you know even marathon pace running is going to help you at the end of a long run for the half just because you're on tired legs you are in a pre-fatigued state and you're going to get some extra aerobic fitness out of a run like that. You know, that kind of a fast finish run. Uh, right. but you could also do certain types of intervals within the long run. So, uh, you know, you're not running nearly as long as an easy long run. So, you know, instead of 14 miles, let's do 12. But you might do two sets of two miles at your goal half marathon pace. Uh, and you do that within the last five miles of the run. Something like that is really good at not just training you specifically for the race that you're getting ready for, but also with, you know, training your mental fitness, your mental toughness, your ability to, um, you know, not get anxious with your goal pace for a long period of time. Because you're going to remember back to those workouts. You're going to remember being seven miles into a run and saying, okay, time to start the workout. And then you have to start running fast. <laughs> and, you know, that's kind of tough for a lot of people to, to put that kind of time on your feet and then start uh, a series of repetitions where you're going to be running faster than usual. And so it's really good for developing that kind of mental toughness and you know ultimately reducing anxiety on race day so from a long run perspective i think that's a great strategy for you um you know i don't think you have to do a ton of those you just have to do them you know maybe let's just say once a month so maybe you'll get in three or four of those kinds of cutback long runs over the course of this training cycle but you know at the end of the day most of your long runs should be fairly easy and that is still going to give you a lot of benefit particularly because you're someone who doesn't have the long run experience of going you know much longer than about 10 miles yeah okay that makes sense to me i i had planned some of those progression runs I guess you could call them, uh, later on in my training cycle. Just judging from how last Saturday went, I am not ready to be doing that right now. But I'm thinking that might be something I can fit in maybe a month or two out from the race. Does that sound reasonable to you? Yeah, I think that's that's a good plan. Um, and, and especially if you don't feel comfortable with it right now, because those kinds of runs are uh, nice to do, but I would not say that they're required. And they are for more advanced runners. And, and I do consider you a more advanced runner just because of, you know, the race times that you're capable of doing. Um, but, you know, it's interesting from a training perspective, I'd say you're more like an intermediate runner, which is kind of like what I was saying earlier, which you're in such an envious position right now because, you know, you're capable of running really fast on what I would label intermediate training, which means you have a lot of talent and there's a lot of room to grow and to get a lot faster. So, you know, you're in a great spot, Riley. Um, and I think we just have to be a little bit cautious with layering on more mileage and longer long runs. If we can do it safely and gradually over time, uh, you're just going to keep improving and improving month after month after month. 
Right on. That long run is going to be my bane, I can tell. <laughs> I can do the the 10 miles or so pretty comfortably right now because I'm focusing very hard at the start of the run on not going too fast. So usually my first mile is is very, very controlled and a lot slower than what I would consider to be my easy pace. But that's just to get get the blood pumping, I guess. And I'm, I'm definitely a negative split runner from there. So I'll start a long run maybe running – 8.30 to 9-minute mile pace in the first mile, and then I'll get it down to 7.30 by the end of the run, typically okay. speaking. Yeah, that's a good way to do it. In fact, I think I think most runs should be negative split runs just by the, by the fact that you should be starting your run at a very easy pace. And the fact that, um, you know, if, if you started at a very comfortable, relaxed, conversational effort— once you warm up, once you get into a nice rhythm, you get into the run a little bit, you're going to run faster at the same effort because you are primed to run a little bit faster. You're going to be warmed up. So are most of your runs kind of within that 7.30 to 8.30 range? Um, I wouldn't say the range is typically that broad. The The long runs can shape up like that because I'm very deliberate about going slow at the start because I know I got a lot ahead of me. My easy runs, um, I have a little more trouble reining those in. I guess there's something subconscious there where like, oh, it's not that long. I can just tear it up real quick. Um, just, you know, bust out five miles and be done with it. I, I always start those a little slower too, but I can sometimes on accident find myself going closer to seven-minute mile pace and I should probably slow it down because I know I'm not there right now. I don't know if you have any tricks. Well, generally speaking, I think it is a good idea to run the shortest runs of the week, whatever those might be, whether it's three miles, five miles, whatever, at the slowest pace that you're going to run all week, because those are really recovery runs. You're not going to gain very much fitness in a three, four, five mile run. So let's treat that as a recovery run. Let's make sure that you're recovering from the hard workout and the long run that you're doing, uh, and also then recovering for the upcoming long run or hard workout that you're preparing for. Um, so, you know, based on that 5K that you ran somewhat recently, uh, the 1741, you know, I'd say your easy runs should be somewhere between 7 and maybe about 8.30 pace for, for the really slow recovery effort. But I wouldn't hit that seven-minute pace very frequently. I might, you know, do that for, you know, the last mile of your long run if you're feeling really good. You know, it's kind of one of those things where you should be warmed up to do it. It shouldn't be for more than one, two, three miles. And it's only if you're feeling really good. Uh, I still think it's an appropriate, easy pace for you. Uh, I just wouldn't want you doing all of your mileage at that effort. And I think this is an important um, puzzle piece here because we want to make sure that you're recovering enough so that you can do the workouts and the long runs and and hit all your mileage because I don't want you to get hurt again and I think if we can just keep you healthy then you are going to just keep improving and improving and improving so maybe one of your big goals right now is simply to stay healthy and I know that is not a very sexy goal you know the sexy goal <laughs> is you know let, yeah. let's get under 85 minutes for the half and you know everyone's fist pumping and, and that makes everyone feel so good, but staying healthy and, you know, maybe doing 5% less than what you think you should be doing just so that you can stay injury free and get to the starting line of this half is probably an approach that in the long term is going to be much better for you. No, I completely agree. If I think back on my high school career, I had 
great consistency at that time. And that really helped with my injury prevention. I, I could also argue that the sprinting helped too, because I was a strong runner and my technique was good as a result. Um, but I, I never had a very serious injury except for one in sprinting. But as far as distance running is concerned, nothing serious ever took me out. And that allowed me to shave off a lot of time in my 5k over just three years. My first 5k was over 22 minutes. And then I got it down to 1731 by the end of it. And I think that's just a product of the consistency I was trying to maintain. So that is a goal in my mind looking ahead now is making sure that I can stay healthy and consistent because I know I'm just going to get faster if I can, even if it's, even if it's easy miles, just the consistency is going to help. And I can right. tell even after four weeks now of doing this training post Ragnar. So I guess technically it's been 10 weeks or so that I've been back from my injury, but the long runs are getting easier. The easy runs are getting easier where Previously, if I was trying to hit 7.30 mile pace for an easy run or 7.45, I felt like I was having to work kind of hard. It's just kind of coming naturally now. So, yeah, I agree that that's a – it's not a cool goal, but it's it's a goal that I think is almost more important than the time goal I have for the race. Right, and particularly because you are you are a competitive runner with intermediate training. So let's not – you know put on all kinds of crazy workouts in your training. Let's not try to jump up your mileage real quick. Let's not try to run real fast on all your easy days uh, because of that prior injury and the fact that uh, you just have so much room to grow. So let's grow at least right now at the very beginning of this kind of distance running journey for you. Let's grow a little bit more cautiously because it's number one going to provide you with that foundation of endurance. If you can just stay healthy for one, two, and now I'm getting really optimistic, three years, then <laughs> you're going to build so much endurance. And even perhaps more importantly than that, you're going to build a lot of drive, a lot of motivation. You're going to get so excited about your running because you are just going to be on a multi-year run, no, pardon the pun, of PRs and and running more than you ever have and running faster race times than you ever have and getting new long run PRs. You know, you're going to set a lot of training records over the next couple of years as you, you know, start training more and more advanced over time. So um, I know I sound like a broken record. You're, you're in a very enviable spot, but um, staying healthy right now is going to be is going to be really important. Um, I know we were talking about pacing and I think pacing is going to be really, really critical for uh, injury prevention reasons, uh, but it's also really important for making sure that you actually hit your goal on race day. So the fact that you've been doing some tempo runs is great. What kind of pace are you doing your tempo runs at? Um, so for those, I'm kind of gunning for anywhere between 630 and 645 pace. Okay. Now, do you think you are in a similar fitness level right now as you were when you ran that 1741? No, I think if I were going to race a 5k right now, it would be somewhere in the mid to low 18 minute range. Just guessing. Okay. So if we just say like, for example, you're, you, you go out today and you run a 5k in 1815. In that case, I'd say, you know, uh, 630 pace might be somewhat appropriate as a tempo pace for you, but you could even afford to be a little faster. And, and this really? is where okay. my advice for you might sound conflicting because we just talked about how important it is to run easy and all that. But when it does come to the workout that you're doing every week, I want to make sure that you're training at an appropriate intensity, not too fast, but also not too slow. So, you know, over the next month or six weeks, 
you should probably try to work on getting that just a little bit faster. And it shouldn't be a wholesale change, but you know, the next tempo run that you do, maybe you start flirting with a sub 630 pace. And the goal should be, you know, over the course of the next six weeks or so to try to more consistently run around, say, about 615 or 620 per mile for your tempo runs. And I think that's much more indicative of your current fitness level and, and also your goals. Because if you're running all your, uh, you know, your tempo runs at 630 to 645 um, you know, that's, that's, that's going to put you way over your goal for the, the half marathon. And, and I, I don't want you to shortchange yourself. I want to, I want you to train appropriately, uh, and cautiously so that you don't get hurt, but also at the right times, let's, you know, express your fitness and run, uh, run fast when it's appropriate. Right. Well, that's good advice. I have a tempo run planned for tomorrow <laughs> so I can employ that. I think the last tempo run I did, it was, uh, it was definitely on the lower side of that 630 to 645 pace. And I found myself even after three miles of doing this tempo pace where I was still, I could feel my body increasing the pace. It was harder, but when I went and looked back at the paces I was running at that time, I would get them down a little bit faster than that, maybe like 625. So I, I think you're right that that is a direction that I can start taking there. But at the same time, um, I think I also need to kind of focus on keeping my easy days really easy so that I can express my fitness, as you said, on those harder days. Right. That's going to be important. And, you know, really what we're saying is, um, you know, let's not exert too much more effort than you already are in your training, but let's just redistribute it, it a little differently. So, for example, you know, your tempo run might get a little bit faster, maybe 5, 10 you know, maybe over time, 15 seconds a mile faster than what you're doing now. But at the same time, your easy days are getting even more uh, slower than they are right now. So, you know, really? okay. the overall intensity of things is staying about the same. You're going to work harder on your workout days, but you're going to recover better on those easy days. And by polarizing our training like this, by really making sure that we're focusing on recovery on a recovery day, and then we're trying to gain as much fitness as we can on those hard days, then your fitness is going to progress at a more rapid rate. And uh, I think it's much better for your overall long-term development as an athlete. Yeah. I hear that all the time that you should be polarizing your training, make the easy days really easy and the hard days you can make hard then. It's a lot easier said than done. And I think that that kind of uh, part of it's mental, I'm sure, where you're just trying to get used to it. But part of it for me that I struggle with is the environment in which I'm running, especially now because it's summer. And I know I'm saying this as someone that lives in Seattle where our temperatures are pretty mild, but it'll get hot out and you'll you'll be working harder than you you think you are for the given pace so you feel like you should push harder to actually keep the pace that you want when maybe that's not what you're supposed to be doing in that uh, under those conditions or i live in a place that's really hilly so uh, I'll, I'll end up working harder to get up those hills or over rougher terrain on those easy miles even when i probably shouldn't but i'm trying to meet that pace so i guess the question i have for you is how do you factor in like terrain or elevation gain into your running your easy mileage. Like for instance, if you're going to run six miles easy on the road, that's a heck of a lot easier than running six miles easy on some technical mountain trails, even with adjusting your pace. So how do you kind of gauge those easy days then? Is there like a formula or is it just all off feel? 
I think feel and going by perceived effort is is the easiest. You know, you could plug into a formula, but the formula could be wrong. And what is right is how you feel. And so, and I totally understand. I mean, look, I live in Denver, and if I go yeah. run out in the roads here, you know, I might run 7.30 pace for, for an easy run for me. Uh, but, you know, just the other day, I went into the mountains for a run, and I did nine miles at just over 10-minute pace. And I was actually working harder than I do during a normal easy run because of the altitude, because of the fact that I was running up and down mountains and the technical terrain. So that always is going to play a factor into your easy pace. But, you know, maybe we should even not even call it an easy pace and instead just call it an easy effort because that's really what it is. It's an effort. You know, um, you know, you, you ask your coach, hey, how should I be feeling on this run? What, sh what should this run feel like? They're going to say easy. It doesn't matter where you're running or what the terrain is like. The effort should feel easy. So on an easy run, it's almost better to to forget about the pace and just go out there and, and run, say, you know, what a 7.30, 7.45, you know, maybe even eight minute pace for you. Run what that should feel like. And then you get home, you look at your GPS watch and you might say to yourself, wow, <laughs> those miles where it was really hilly, I was actually running 8.30 per mile, but you know, what's the big deal? You are, you're recovering today. You have a hard workout in a day or two, and it's way more important to recover and to feel good than it is to hit some kind of arbitrary, easy pace that you've kind of set for yourself. That sure. is what I call a vanity metric. It's getting in that run at 730 pace and running the six miles and 45 minutes on the dot. And believe me, I fall prey to this myself too. Um, when it doesn't matter, it run 46 minutes or 47 minutes for that same six mile run, and you're going to feel a lot better for it the next day. And your fitness isn't really going to be negatively impacted in any way. So, you know, if you run an easy six miles in 47 minutes, but you kept thinking to yourself, man, I think I should have been more like 45 minutes for this run. Your body doesn't really know the difference. And you're really going to gain most of your fitness from the workouts, the long run, and the total body of work that you're doing. And so that includes recovery. You know, it's kind of the other end, the other side of the coin to hard work. You work really hard, but then you have to recover or your body doesn't adapt to it. It doesn't absorb all that hard work and you don't get faster. You don't get stronger. You don't gain all that endurance. So just slowing down those easy days and worrying more about effort, worrying more about how you feel is going to make you into a better runner. How do you feel then about like adjusting the the length of your easy runs based on the terrain that you plan on doing? Like if you know you're going to be running technical mountain trails at altitude, would you instead of running, you know, eight miles do like six? Because you you feel that even with adjusting your pace, that effort will be more equivalent overall in terms of volume. Oh, yeah. Now, this is a great question. Yes. Uh, generally speaking, yeah. If you go up in altitude, if you're running really technical trails and your pace per mile is going to be one, two, three, even more minutes per mile slower, then I think it is beneficial for you to go by time rather than by pay or uh, by distance. So, you know, I'll just use this example for myself because, you know, we've been kind of talking about it. The trail run that I did this past weekend was nine miles, but it was about 91 minutes. And I don't think I've run longer than about 68 70 minutes in the last four six weeks or so so even though i had already run nine miles 
but I had never run much longer than about 70 minutes recently, I was hesitant to do that much, even though I had already done the distance. But the fact that it was so much slower means that it was much less stressful on you know my joints and tendons and uh, connective tissues. So for that reason, I, I was okay bumping up the total time that I had been running. But I think it is a, a very good idea to think more in terms of time. If you're going to get on some really crazy terrain and run in an area, we're going to be much slower. So for example, let's say your average long run has typically taken you 90 minutes and you haven't really gone much longer than 90 minutes. And for you, that is a 12 mile run. Well, if you go on the mountains and you run 12 miles, that might take you over two hours. So you might want to kind of split the difference and say, all right, I'm going to run an hour 45 today at the same effort that I might run in my typical 90 minute, 12 mile run. And you know, whatever the distance is, is the distance. And you don't really worry about your average pace per mile. You don't worry about the, the total distance of the run. Instead, you're just worrying about getting in the appropriate effort for about the same amount of time. Does that make sense? That totally makes sense. Yeah. You're, you're, you're more concerned about the volume of work that you're doing rather than like the number of miles because those miles are not equal. Exactly. And really it's, it's what your body knows. Your body knows volume of work at a certain intensity. Your body does not know pace and distance and all that. They, it just knows time. All right. We've been running for an hour. We've been running at this intensity, this effort level, this heart rate. And so that is uh, what your body really knows better. And it's your brain that's always trying to get your body to speak a different language. Um, yeah. Now, Riley, I do want to talk a little bit more about injury prevention because I think that's going to be key to you reaching your goals later on uh, this fall. Um, what are you doing now to stay healthy? Do you have any specific strategies in your training? I don't remember where or when you said this in whatever video or podcast or, or what, but you said that it's a good idea to sandwich your workouts with a good warm-up and some strength training at the end. I am trying my very, very best to be as consistent with that as possible um, to try to help myself not get injured again. I found that that helped me recover. Uh, in particular, was getting good strength training in more so than rest. Rest only did so much, but you have to actually get strong enough to support it. Um, and so far, I've had good success with that. That's what allowed me to do that Ragnar relay and run that 18 miles without hurting myself was the strength training prior to it. Um, so that's my primary strategy. In addition to that, I'm, I'm trying not to ramp up my mileage too, too quickly over this training cycle. Um, and I'm and this is hard for me, but I'm trying to listen to my body. And sometimes when I'll have an easy day, I'll decide, like, I think I'm kind of beat up right now. I should probably just take today off instead. And that's hard for me because I'm not hitting my mileage numbers that I, I had planned on it. And I feel like that's going to compromise my training later on down the line. You are displaying wisdom beyond your years, Riley. <laughs> It's hard. <laughs> yeah, it is. The young and, guy uh, in me just wants to go. Everyone wants the the big number in their training log, you know, for the week and and skipping a run or even just cutting a run short and maybe, you know, doing a slow four miles rather than a moderate six miles. That's a big hit to the ego, isn't it? But it's very often what your body needs at that time. You know, I like to say that 
Training plans are really just roadmaps that get you to your final destination. And you're going to be able to take a detour and stop somewhere and look at the scenery. And you're still going to be able to get to your final destination. So don't think that the training plan is set in stone because it's not. It's there in pencil. You can edit it. You can shuffle it around. As long as you're abiding by the big picture general principles of the training plan, you're going to, you're going to do great. And with respect to prevention and what you're doing now in your training, uh, you kind of pulled my suggestions right out of my mouth. That's probably the three best things that you can do. Number one, training structure. So making sure you're doing appropriate workouts, appropriate long runs, appropriate mileage for your fitness level, but also for the race that you're training for and where you are in the training cycle. So, you know, I wouldn't want you on the track running 400 meter, 800 meter reps at, you know, 3K or mile race pace, because that's just way too intense for this period of the training cycle. And it's also not very specific to the half marathon. So I think you're really good. Uh, you're doing well with the progression of workouts. Um, if we can get you to gradually, but consistently increase your mileage in your long run, and you're kind of splitting up the work throughout the week so that you're not condensing all that hard work into like a three-day time period. Instead, you're more evenly distributing it so that, you know, you get that hard, easy, hard, you know, kind of general structure to your training. The training structure is probably the most important thing you can do to prevent injuries. It's, it's what you're running because after all, if you get hurt, it's because you were running something, you know, it's a running injury. So yeah. if by, by making sure we have good structure around our running, you're going to really decrease your injury risk. And then on top of that, you layer on a good amount of strength training and you take those easy days really easy. And I would say that that is probably one of the best recipes for healthy running that you can put together. So I think you're on the right track there. Okay, that's good. Something you just said caught my ear. Um, and you said something to the effect of don't run 400 or 800 meters at mile pace or like repetition pace on the track right now because it's, it's not race specific and it's not what's necessary at this uh, time in the training cycle. But I, I guess I want to, to fight back against that just for a minute here and say, does it make sense then? Um, well, let me back up. I, I know people will argue that it makes more sense to get your mileage up early on in the training cycle. Then you replace that mileage with intensity about two thirds of the way through, and then you taper both of them right before the race. The, the strategy behind that makes sense to me, but I also see value in the strategy of kind of switching the direction there where you have some intensity and maybe not so much mileage right now. And I think for me, this makes sense for someone with a speedier background where you instead transition it for something like the half marathon to something that's a little bit uh, longer and, and, and more uh, there's more volume, maybe two thirds of the way through, you lose some of that speed intensity and you replace it for something that's more race specific, like your tempo runs, for instance, or your, your up tempo long runs later on in the week or something like that. Still with the plan to taper it right before the race. I, I'm wondering how you feel about that kind of strategy. So the reason I brought this up is I do have things like a 400 meter repeats like once or twice in this part of the training cycle just to get my legs used to running at that speed and work on good technique that sort of thing 
Yeah, so essentially what we're talking about now is linear versus nonlinear periodization. And nonlinear periodization is where you keep most elements of training in your training almost at all times. So that means doing some fast repetitions very early on in a training cycle. And this is actually the type of periodization that I I like and, and I tend to use. Uh, I kind of, you know, I kind of do a little bit of both depending on the athlete, but the the where I want to differentiate that with my example of doing 400s or 800s at, you know, two mile or mile race pace is, you know, we can do short but fast reps with a good amount of rest early in the training cycle, but we shouldn't do moderate distance reps at a fast pace with, you know, maybe not so much rest early on in the training cycle. So like 800s with two minutes recovery, I think it's way too early for that to, to run that at any kind of fast pace. But if you were running 400s at 5k pace this early in the training cycle, I would say as long as you're not doing a lot of them. And, and again, the point of this kind of a workout is really just to introduce speed, uh, you know, along its continuum to to you at this point in the training cycle so you know you're not running eight by 400 or 10 by 400 at two mile pace you're running say six by 400 at 5k pace and you're taking a you know two and a half or three minute jog recovery so the recovery is longer you're not doing a, a high volume of fast running uh, and you're not doing it you know, uh, you're not doing longer reps at faster paces. You're kind of, you know, splitting the difference and you could do short reps at fast paces or, you know, a 400, I would not call a short rep. I would call that maybe a, a medium distance rep and something like that could be done at maybe around 5k pace, but you could do a lot of 200 meter reps at mile race pace. And as long as you're recovering enough, as long as you're just getting a taste of these workouts and you're not making them the centerpiece of your training week, then those over time will progress to longer but slower reps that are more specific to your goal race. Does that you know general funnel periodization make sense? Yes, I, I think we were speaking a different language there for a second. So in my mind, what you just described is you differentiate repetition workouts versus say like an interval workouts where you're running an interval workout would be like 5k race pace and you're running those like three or four minute periods at a time with maybe a two to three minute rest where a repetition is the rest is typically longer than the time that you spend running. In fact, it's always longer than the time you spent running and it's meant to be faster at like mile or two mile pace and almost never in excess of say 400 meters. Yes, I'd say that's generally true. Okay, yeah. So the reason I brought that up is the first part of my plan has some of that stuff to get the speed under my belt. They transition into those higher intensity interval works and then that's going to taper off into the final phase of the training where it's, race specific and the volumes going down. Right. And it's of I think a helpful way to think about it is to think about how most runners think about periodization. It goes from easy to hard and you go from short distances to long distances. So, you know, your tempo runs get longer. So, 
uh, short to long. And then your mileage goes from low mileage to high mileage. Another way to progress in your training is with the workouts that you do. And instead of, you know, all of a sudden you go from easy aerobic running to these more challenging track workouts, instead of that, you might start with, you know, four by 200 at mile pace. And then you progress to, you know, six by 200 uh, at mile pace. Then you can maybe start doing some 300s at more 3K, two-mile race pace. And then that transitions over to 400s at 5K pace. And then from there, the interval, the I'm sorry, the repetition length, so 400 meters, maybe that becomes 800. And then it becomes 1,000. And then maybe at the end of the training cycle, let's say, for example, you're training for a 5K, you're doing mile repetitions at 5K pace. But you started way over at, at mile pace. So you're, you're progressing from slow to fast, but the distance of the repetition is progressing from short to long. So you're almost, it's almost getting more difficult as you go, even though you're going slower. Yeah, that totally makes sense. I see how those two kind of converge. The, the, the time you're running and then the speed that you're running, those converge on the race that you're interested in. That's, that's not a way I've thought about it before, but that makes a lot of sense now that you've described it like that. Yeah, and I just I just published a video and a blog post about this on the blog. It might have been a week or two ago, so very recent. So if anyone listening wants to check that out, uh, it goes into a lot more detail about how these things progress over time towards the specific race distance that you might be training for. Totally. Okay. All right, Riley, you have roughly four months until your goal race. You're in a great spot. You kind of have a plan now of focusing on, you know, mostly aerobic kind of work, uh, injury prevention, which we know is unsexy, but will, will really help you accomplish your goal. Uh, and you know, I, I think you're in the spot right now that a lot of runners would dream of being in there. You're healthy, you're young, you have talent, and all you need to do right now is, is intelligently apply these training principles to your training and stay healthy. And you're just going to keep progressing and getting faster over time. Totally. And that's the goal. I'm, I'm really trying to make it happen now. I, I would love to be the best runner I can by the time I'm 30 so I can do cool things like run at Boston and stuff like that. Anyway, yeah. I appreciate you uh, giving me some advice over this. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I also want to make sure that your training season, upcoming training season, is, uh, is, is set up really well. Do you have any tune-up races planned? Don't yet. Um, I was thinking about planning one. That, that 5K that I ran last October, uh, they have a 10K along with that too. And I was thinking maybe I should step it up to that 10K as a tune-up race. And the timing is good. It's in mid to late October. The race that I'm looking at is December 1st. I think that would work out. Yeah, I think so. So December 1st, uh, mid to late October, we're talking about six weeks away. I think that's perfect. And, you know, the thing about shorter to, excuse me, shorter tune-up races is that you can run more of them. And because I think racing is a skill, it's something that you get better at over time with the more experience that you have, I think it it'll, will be helpful for you to run more than one tune-up race. You know, you could run two or three, uh, and they can range from, uh, you know, even another half marathon if you want to give yourself two chances to, to run a good half. Or you could, you know, run a bunch of 5K and 10K races. And as long as they are 
you know, spread out and you're not running, you know, four races over the last four weekends of the training cycle, which actually might not be a horrible idea, but, you know, spreading them out might give you more time, a little bit more ability to focus on training as well. Because if you're racing so much, then you will have to sacrifice your training a little bit. So, you know, if you wanted to get in, uh, you know, a 5k and a 10k before your half, I think that's very reasonable. If you wanted to get in, uh, two 10 Ks and a 5 K. I think you could do that too. Um, you could also get in a 10 K and another half marathon. Just make sure that they're spaced, you know, maybe at least a month apart. And that is a great schedule. So, uh, you know, look around and see what kind of races are available in your area, but setting up that kind of a tune up race schedule is going to number one, uh, help you have a lot of fun. You know, racing is fun. <laughs> and it then is, number yeah. two, um, it's going to give you a lot of data about your fitness level and about what you're capable of doing. So, for example, if you know you want to run uh, in the half marathon, if you want to get under 85 minutes, which is kind of like you know what I might say is your stretch goal, and then you run a 10k in 37 flat, well, you know you're on the right track. You know that's the kind of time I might say is appropriate for someone looking to run, you know, about 84 minutes in the half marathon. So it's going to give you some really good insights into your current fitness level, and it's going to help you practice racing, which is a skill that you develop over time. It's, it's funny that you mentioned that racing is a skill because I completely agree in high school, all we did was the 5k and I got really good at the 5k. And I think that helped contribute to me running a 1741 out of nowhere because I knew how to race it. So I'm wondering if you have any advice for transitioning some knowledge from maybe racing something like a 5K up to a 10K and then maybe taking something from a 10K and stretching that out to a half marathon. Because if I think about a half marathon, the only strategy I could think is don't go out too fast, settle into a pace and hang on. But I imagine there's some more complexity to that. (laughs) Yeah, there's a little bit more complexity. I think it does depend a little bit on your experience because you know, the fact that you've never raced a 10K uh, or anything longer than that, I don't want to overcoach you and give you all these pacing ideas in your head to try to wrap your head around. Instead, I just want you to, to get that experience because that is really the best instructor when it comes to pacing a race and in the subtleties and nuance of, um, you know, race strategy. So, You know, I think the most helpful thing you can do is race semi-regularly so that you always know what kind of shape that you're in and what you're capable of. And then you can use that concept of equivalent performances to, you know, tell yourself, you know, what you might be able to do. So, you know, if you run a 5K in 1745, then, you know, you're probably ready for, you know, a 10K in maybe low 37 minutes. And, you know, the, the longer the race, I think the better the pacing strategy is just to be more even with your pacing. Like in the marathon, you probably want to go out a little bit slower than your goal pace for the first mile or two to help yourself warm up. In the half marathon, you know, you could be a little bit fast in the first mile or so, but you really want to try to run as even as you can. And then, you know, in the last one, two, three miles, depending on how you feel, try to really kick hard and and increase the pace and try to try to run at home. 
Um, you know, as, and then as the event gets shorter and shorter and shorter, you can be more and more aggressive with how you pace things and you can really break it down into smaller segments. So for the mile, for example, you know, you kind of want to think a bit in quarter mile increments. So the first quarter can be one, two, three seconds faster than your goal pace. Then you want to really be right on your goal pace and hopefully and then with a 400 to go, you know, you kind of want to try to run as hard as you can and start kicking with three or 200 meters left in the race. Right. So um, there's there's a different race strategy for every kind of race there is. And it will also depend on your fitness level. You know, the fitter you are, the further out from the finish line that you can start kicking. And, you know, you can afford to go out a little bit faster and, and then settle into your goal pace. So being in better shape affords you some flexibility to take some liberties with your goal pace. And, you know, you can rebound from going out too hard. Uh, you can rebound from going out too slow. And so there's, there's more flexibility there. But ultimately for the half and, you know, maybe even the 10K, I would want you to run fairly evenly over the course of the race and use that concept of equivalent performances to inform your goal finish time. Gotcha. And that, that seems safe to me, uh, thinking ahead. I haven't run it before, so it makes the most sense to try to run an even pace, get a feel for how that goes and how well I can actually execute it and then grow from there. And from what you're telling me, it does make a lot of sense for me to try to get a few tune-up races before the half marathon to just try to train me for what to expect. And I think I'll thrive off of that a lot more. So I'm thinking maybe two 10Ks if I can. I don't know if I want to jump ahead and do a half marathon before the half marathon. That seems a bit ambitious, but I think the 10Ks are totally reasonable. Yeah. Okay. If you know, I want you to do what you're comfortable with. So if doing another half marathon is, I don't know, it seems intimidating or you don't want to do it, then I think that's fine. Let's just practice with uh, a couple 10 Ks, maybe a 5 K and really work on trying to get your times, uh, you know, definitely under 18 minutes for the 5 K. And if you could get under 3730 for the 10 K, then I would start saying to myself, this guy's ready to run under 85 minutes and a half. Awesome. Okay, and that's good advice and a good benchmark to to try to keep myself to. I think I can do it. Yeah, and then, you know, in the future, thinking really long term, uh, it's always beneficial to cycle through different goal races so that you're not always focusing on one thing. You know, if you want to tackle the marathon next, uh, I think that would be fine. Uh, but then after the marathon, go after something very different. Because if you keep focusing on the half and the marathon, your workouts are going to start looking very similar. You're going to be doing a lot of distance training, longer long runs. And it, it's always helpful to step away from that for maybe a season, a training cycle, and focusing on the 5K, focusing on some uh, shorter track distances if you can find them. Because that's going to change the types of workouts that you're doing, and you're really going to be working on your speed. And fitness is fitness. You know, that is going to transfer very well to those longer distances. And, you know, like I said earlier, if you're fast first, if you're fast to begin with, getting faster in the longer races is a much easier thing to accomplish. Yeah, and I can see changing up those training cycles to focus on different distances is going to help with your overall athleticism. I know that helped me back in high school. The sprinting definitely made me a stronger runner in the distance, even though I didn't have the stamina needed for it. But I could start to take, take the uh, 
the beating of the longer miles a little bit better. If that right, makes sense. Right. You know, I've been pointing to college, the college season schedule more frequently lately because I think it's very instructive in the focus and how that changes over the year. So if you start in the summer, you're doing base training. Then you're going to do uh, your longer distance cross-country races in the fall. And then in the winter, you're probably going to transition to shorter track races during indoor track. Then you get to outdoor track, and you're going to be doing longer track races. So it's almost like the cycle of easy base training, long, strength-oriented cross-country running, and then really short, fast track work, and then slightly longer, but still fast track work. And in that cycle over time really helps you develop that athleticism, like you mentioned, and it really helps you develop into a more well-rounded, holistic runner who's capable of running a 10K really fast and then getting on a 4 by 800 meter relay and running a fast 800 and then being successful at all those race distances in between. And it's that versatility and that range that the changing focus provides you that makes you into a really good runner. Totally. And I, I don't know how the, the communities are in, say, Denver, but here... Uh, it seems like a lot of the races that happen in the communities around here are kind of based in that. So you see a lot of half marathons and marathons coming up in the fall and into the winter. Sometimes you'll see them in the spring and it's feel like more five K's and stuff like that start popping up in the spring, or maybe I'm just projecting my own opinion on it. I don't know, but that's the impression I get. Yeah. Well, I can't speak to the exact schedule, but you know, it's a good one. It, it's one that varies the focus and therefore varies the training required for that focus. And, you know, running is running. You know, I said fitness is fitness earlier. Running is running. Training is training when it, when you're a runner. And if you're running 40 to 50 miles a week training for a marathon, but then you're only running 35 miles a week training for a 5K, you're not going to lose a lot of fitness, especially if you're doing really hard workouts. And it's going to change uh, you as a runner. You're going to be, you're going to become more powerful faster you're going to boost your strength and so the the benefits to doing that are profound the last thing i would want anybody to do is you know to get this idea in their head that they have to be a boston qualifier or they have to run a sub four marathon or whatever the marathon goal might be and then they just run two or three marathons a year and that's all they do year after year after year that's how you get stale that's yeah, training boring. for the same thing doing the same kinds of training over and over again you have to progress and develop as a runner and that's not really the way to do it i think i would get bored of that <laughs> over <laughs> yeah. time without particularly with your up. sprinter background oh my goodness you have no idea <laughs> all right riley how are you feeling for this fall I'm feeling pretty good. I think I've got some work ahead of me, especially with that long run. Like I said before, that's going to be the bane for me. But uh, I think I think I'm I think I'm ready to do this. 90 for sure in the half marathon. 85 would be my A plus day. Okay. Yep. I I really think you can have an A plus day if your training goes well. You run a couple good tune up races. Uh, I think you're going to start surprising yourself at what you're capable of when you run a good amount and you do that consistently you are really going to see your potential as a runner and and you're going to surprise yourself yeah i'm hoping so i appreciate your help thanks for talking with me riley thanks for coming on the podcast and, and laying it all out there for us i know it's not easy talking about some of your 
you know, less than intelligent, we'll say training decisions that got you injured and, you know, we've all made them, but, uh, I really appreciate you being honest about your training and your goals and coming on here and, and just sharing that with the whole strength running community. For sure. Happy to do it. And I'm in my twenties. I'm going to make some mistakes. I think that's important. <laughs> yes. Yes. If, uh, Oh, if I had a nickel for every mistake I made. Uh, Riley, I would love to have you back on the podcast, maybe for only a, a 10 minute segment to talk about how your training is going and maybe how the half went later this year. So I'll tease that for our listeners and I'll be in touch with you to talk to you a little bit more about that. Okay. No pressure, <laughs> but yeah, I'd be happy to do it. Let's do it. Great. Thanks so much for coming on Riley. Thanks for talking with me. Hey, it's Jason one more time buzzing in your ear before you pause me today. Thanks so much for listening to this episode and being a subscriber to the podcast. My goal is to bring you inspiring running advice that helps you reach your biggest running goals. So if you are training for your first half marathon or even your 10th, I hope you enjoyed this episode. I'm also greatly appreciative of the honest ratings and reviews that you have been leaving on iTunes, and I want to give a special shout out to JT, who recently left a review and said that he wished he had found this podcast years ago, and he correctly observed that I clearly love running and runners. It's probably pretty obvious that I'm just enamored with running and runners. I've been oddly obsessed with running since I was 14. Actually, my best man at my wedding was my cross-country co-captain, and my wife was on the track team with me in college. So I have surrounded myself with running over the years in so many different ways, and it has given me so much. One of the things that I'm trying to do on the podcast here is impart some of that love and help you avoid some of the mistakes that I made myself. So thank you so much, JT, and to everyone else who's left a review. It means a lot. Finally, I do want to help you more directly with our team strength running program. This is where any runner can get personal coaching affordably with a growing library of training plans, monthly guest interviews so you can keep learning more about the sport, a community of other runners to get support and encouragement from, and a host of other great discounts and other resources. Go to strengthrunning.com TSR and sign up to learn more about the team. No pressure. It's free to sign up. And if you decide it's not a good fit, I'll still be here on the podcast for you. Thanks, everyone. Until next time.